having said that words are interesting, uh, brings me actually to the first line in your study guide. Wasn't intended that way, it just came out that way. The first line in your study guide says, perhaps you've wondered where we got the name for our ministry, Spheres of Grace. Spheres of Grace Ministries. I wrestled with the name when we selected it because I wanted that name because it expresses what our ministry is and the study that we're doing in Second Peter, especially in this section today, deals with that very aspect. And you have seen the the logo or the sign that we use for our ministry with the cross and the two circles. As a matter of fact, you have that in your study guide today. In the back of your study guide, it's called the Positional Truth Model. And we have there a cross and the words faith and grace on the cross and how they form themselves when you use grace as the crossbar and faith as the upright. You're able to... Um, see the, the cross itself formed. But there are two circles or two spheres on that logo. One represents eternal life and it's diagrammed with a circle and a dot in it. More realistically, it would be a sphere, but I'm not, I have enough trouble drawing, uh, two uh, different uh, levels of format rather than trying to to throw a third dimension uh, in there as well. But the top circle with the dot in it represents our salvation. At the moment we receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, enters us into union with Christ, immerses us into Christ. And passage after passage in the New Testament talks about our being in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. And that preposition in identifies for us the a static position that is identified by the preposition in. It is located in a static position. When we receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, the Holy Spirit places us in union with Christ positionally so that we belong to Him. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says, Christ hath redeemed unto Himself a peculiar people. And I have explained before that as a teenager, uh, my favorite sermon to preach was Oddball's for Christ. And the text was Titus 2.14. Christ hath redeemed unto himself a peculiar people. So I built the sermon around the idea of being unique or different than others, of being peculiar to the secular world. But as I pursued the Greek language, I discovered that the word peculiar did not mean an oddball or an eccentric, but rather it meant a dot encompassed by a circle. Well, I don't preach too well, or does it? When Christ hath 
redeemed unto himself a peculiar people. He, they used the language of a dot in the circle showing ownership or possession, and it's actually within the sphere, but as I said, the two dimensions difficult enough without going into the third dimension and drawing. And so, we are the dot, we are the the object that is possessed by the circle, and the showing of it by a circle or sphere is to show that it cannot get out. It cannot get out of that. Sphere. Once we receive Christ as Savior, we eternally belong to Him. And so, some of the modern translations have translated not a peculiar people, but a people of His own possession. I guess they weren't comfortable with translating it a dot encompassed by a circle. But the dot encompassed by the circle showed the ownership and the possession that we are eternally possessed. Now, at the bottom of that diagram in our logo is another sphere represented by the circle on the drawing. And uh, in that circle, you'll see not a dot in it, but a line going into the circle. This is the sphere of fellowship. Salvation is shown in the upper sphere that we have eternal life and are eternally secure. But in the bottom sphere, it shows our day-by-day fellowship with God. And we get in and out of fellowship. Sin breaks our fellowship. The confession of sin restores our fellowship. And so it's shown with a line. Now, the idea of the static position is because the preposition used there, in, means a static position located there within the circle. When it talks about getting in and out of fellowship with God, we don't use the preposition of the Greek New Testament did not use the preposition in, they used the preposition ice, E-I-S, instead of E-H-N. E-I-S shows movement. So we move in and out of fellowship with God, though we are children of God, and it's just as with our our earthly parents, uh, we were born to them. I was born to Pauline and Sterling Welch, and nothing could ever change that. That was the means by which I was born. And whether they liked it or not, or whether I liked it or not, that was the situation. It's irrevocable. But I didn't always, I know that'll shock you, I didn't always walk in a way that was pleasing to them and in obedience to them. And uh, that's shown then in the area of fellowship. We do not walk always in the way God would have us walk, but His blood keeps on cleansing us from all sin so that we eternally are secure in Him. But our prayers are hindered by unconfessed sin in our life. Our relationship with Him uh, and and the ability of the Spirit to work through us is is hindered by our broken fellowship. So 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So when we confess to him those things we're aware of, we are moved back in, we go back into fellowship and back into the bottom circle. In that bottom circle or that bottom sphere, that's where we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when we when we sin, we take the controls away from the Holy Spirit and we operate on our own. When we confess that, the Holy Spirit is put back in charge of our lives. And the scripture is so graphic in relationship to this. We It talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. You can take a water hose and as water is flowing through it, you can double that hose over and quench the water so the water will not flow through it. Sin breaks our fellowship. It quenches the power of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we're operating on our own in the energy of the flesh instead of under the, the power of the Holy Spirit. When we confess our sin, then we are moved back in to that fellowship. So those two spheres stand out throughout the Word of God. They were actually introduced in the Old Testament and uh, uh, they become very visible, uh, especially very graphic in uh, the distinction between the two prepositions in and in two that we have in the in the scripture itself. So spheres of grace, it's by God's grace that we have eternal life. It's by God's grace that we are power empowered by the Holy Spirit. So those are spheres of grace. But it goes beyond that. And uh, there, there are, the, the Bible uses this terminology of spheres as it relates to our Christian walk uh, quite frequently. As a matter of fact, in our text today, we are dealing with one of those passages that identifies not one sphere, but seven spheres. Now, I've struggled with, as I said, naming it spheres of grace because most people think you say spears. I try to pronounce it spheres, but people say, oh, spheres of grace. No, it's not spheres of grace, it's spheres of grace. And uh, that's shown then uh, in the language of the New Testament, but introduced, uh, you remember the that God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to ask him to let your people go and go out to a hold a feast in the wilderness. The word feast means to move about in, the, in a sphere, in a circle. Uh, and the third dimension of that, to move, conduct yourself within a certain sphere. So that concept was introduced in the Old Testament in the Hebrew and it becomes very graphic in the New Testament. But in the back of your study guide is another sheet today that has the concentric circles of spiritual growth to affect change in behavior. Second Peter chapter 1 Verses 5 through 7 identify these spheres. They're actually spheres, not circles, but I'm back to the, to the two dimension 
uh, ability to illustrate to you. <clears throat> Robin, uh, my uh, granddaughter, uh, Todd's wife, uh, took a styrofoam ball uh, of sphere, if you will, and she cut, did a cutaway on it in seven layers so that the, the back side of the ball showed the sphere of it and then it was stepped into seven distinct layers and she wrote in each of those layers one of these identifying principles and mechanics that we're looking at today. I asked her just the other day while they were up here uh, at Thanksgiving if she still had that. Uh, that that I needed her to make one of those for me. I thought she had made it for me, and she said, no, no, this is mine. <laughs> and uh, so now I discover she don't even know where it is. So uh, the uh, she did an excellent job on it, and it was three-dimensional. I could show you by it how it is developed and uh, and what we're dealing with in the text today. So we are called Spheres of Grace Ministries, not because it's an easy name to clarify, but because it represents what our ministry is. Our grandson did the other when he was about seven or eight on the computer because he didn't have enough computer. That's, but he did this. That, that's a grandmother's insertion yes. uh, <laughs> of a little information for... Your your point. These were that was an illustration. It was in the book I published, Biblical Basics for Believers, and he did the illustration on that. So when we talk about, we use the word sphere. We're talking about a, a globe, a ball, but in language we're also talking about an environment, the entire environment of con, or context of that which is going on. So while in our logo, the cross is the meeting place for the sinner and for the Savior, and at the moment of our faith in Jesus Christ, we appropriate the grace of God. We're entered into a permanent relationship with Him, identified uh, periousion is the word that's translated peculiar, we're entered into a a peculiar relationship in that we belong to Him and uh, only belong to Him. At the same time, we're entered into fellowship. And while we do not ever get out of our relationship as a child of God, we do get out of our relationship of fellowship with our Heavenly Father, of our status of that. And so those two spheres are represented. Now in that bottom circle, that's where, I, as I said, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit controls uh, our life. When we sin, we take that control away. We're outside that sphere of operation of the Holy Spirit. When we confess, we're back in. And as while we're in that circle, in that sphere, that's where we develop spiritual maturity. And so the structure of spiritual maturity, and you have been in my 
uh, in the sound of my voice, uh, when I have taught uh, on the structure of spiritual maturity, uh, it's a biblical framework that we find in the Word of God, uh, one level built upon the other uh, in our spiritual growth and development. Paul uses that idea of a structure where John uses the idea of human growth from an infant to an adolescent to uh, a young person to a mature adult. But Paul uses the uh, idea of a structure or a building. And uh, uh, we will be reviewing that again uh, before too long in our study. Uh, Peter uses this approach that within the sphere or the environment of your faith, you are to develop a sphere then of virtue. And within that sphere of virtue, you are to develop a sphere of knowledge. So let's look at it this morning and uh, see just how uh, Paul uh, or Peter uh, in our study here uh, deals with that. In the in first or second Peter chapter one, beginning at verse five and going through verse seven. Beside this, beside what we studied last week, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. There are seven stages, seven spheres, seven environments. Now, now, what I, why do I call them the spheres? He says in the English text, it says, add to your faith virtue. Well, in the grammatical construction of the Greek, we're able to say that it says not add to your faith virtue, but within the sphere of, of faith, you are to develop fully the sphere of virtue. So in each one of these, it's in the sphere of faith, develop virtue. In the, in the sphere of virtue, develop knowledge. In the sphere of knowledge, develop temperance. In the sphere of temperance, develop patience. In the sphere of patience, develop godliness. In the sphere of godliness, develop brotherly love. In the sphere of brotherly love, develop self-sacrificial love. He brings this maturing process tighter and tighter and tighter. Out here is the realm of faith. And then within that realm of faith, we are to develop virtue. And it's within that sphere of virtue, we are to develop then knowledge. Now that is a little confusing to me or uh, created a problem with me. I would think knowledge should lead to virtue rather than virtue leading to knowledge, but I'm not going to argue with God. He put them uh, in this order and we will need to understand it uh, more fully than just that God put them in this order. When we look at virtue, uh, we'll see a little clearer as to why 
we're talking about being controlled by the Holy Spirit and with virtue. And it's only as we're controlled by the Holy Spirit we have any ability to understand and take in knowledge. So it is, he got it in proper order, uh, and uh, Peter did, and uh, we we need to look at it. Look with me then at verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now we discovered back in verse 4 that God has provided us with many valuable promises that give us the potential to become partners in common of the divine nature. So we're looking at developing maturity. We're looking at developing a nature that is more reflective of who we are as children of God. And as we look at that, Peter lays out in some very clear guidelines the process by which based on the promises of God that we looked at in verse 4 last time, we are now able to move that into another uh, realm where we can make application. And he lays down some seven steps that will bring us to a proper representation of who we are in Christ and of the divine nature which is manifest in the center of this sphere as agape love, self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. That is the standard that is, is amplified by Peter as acquiring that divine nature, of developing that divine nature. So it's a growing process and while uh, the Apostle John uh, illustrates that in in a newborn and then in an adolescent and then in a young person and then in a mature adult, Peter takes this approach under the Holy Spirit. And in this approach, we actually have the mechanics, the means by which we make that growth. We are able to come to a point that we reflect that godliness that that divine character in our dealing with others and in our daily walk. Now we see that these promises that God gave that we looked at back in verse 4 uh, were of the foundation. And of course the promise is no more valuable to you than how much you believe it. Your faith in it. So faith is the basis. And that word faith uh, identifies to put our weight or to put our dependency uh, upon it. So let's look at the process then. As Peter says, uh, uh, and beside this, giving all diligence. The word and is incorrect uh, translation in our English text. It's the Greek conjunction day. D-E-H, not the connecting conjunction chi, K-A-I, that would be translated and. The reason the translators translated it and rather than but is simply because of the 
the mindset and the thinking uh, of the Greek when you when you use the word, uh, but also add this, uh, it's a continuing process to show the promises are not enough and faith itself is not enough for us to have maturity, but there is a process that's involved in our becoming more like Christ and in putting on the character of a divine nature. And so in each instance, as you read down, uh, every time we have the word and, uh, and beside this, and to knowledge, uh, and to faith, and to virtue, it's not the word and, it's the word but. You're not through yet. When you, when you've developed faith, you're not through yet. But you need to add this, develop this as well. And so it moves us through that process. So I said in your study guide, it's coordinating conjunction of contrast, tying this action to the statement of promises and the fact that we have fled from the corruption of this world. Remember in our study last week, we saw that we have been given authority over the old nature. The influence, the authority of the old nature has been taken away at salvation. He no longer dominates you. But the influence of the holding of the old nature is still there. And now with your choice, you allow him to dominate you. You walk contrary to God's purpose and God's plan. You make faulty decisions. But it's no longer uh, as because you are dominated by him. You're still under the influence. And so the we have escaped the corruption we saw in our study last time of the old nature as far as the authority. We will not escape the influence of it until we get our new bodies at the resurrection, at the rapture of the church. And then we'll no longer have that old nature. But we've been given the Holy Spirit and we've been given the authority in our Christian world. But we have to exercise that. And the growing process is explained to us here then in this study. But also, he said, beside this, well, beside this, it literally says, but also for this very reason, Giving all diligence. That word giving is translated from the Greek word which means in addition. Make it a principle to repeatedly exhibit. In addition, make it a principle to repeatedly exhibit. Now, this is an imperative participle. Anytime we have a participle, we have a principle. Uh, one of the students at uh, Channel Islands Bible College and Seminary wanted to uh, do a dissertation for his doctor of philosophy degree, and he wanted to do it on the biblical principles. And he said, uh, I need some help in identifying the principles that are found in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament especially, where he was concentrating. And I said, well, you have an easy tool. Uh, 
look up all the participles that are in the Greek New Testament because the participle always introduces a principle. Now look up all the participles. I saw you winch. Yeah, that's... Well, there's some tools by which you can do that. In the Lagos software program, you can put in the filter participles and it will give you every location in the New Testament where a participle is used. Uh, and he had that tool. And um, so it wasn't not as difficult as you imagine if you have the right tools. Well, that, of course, that's true in anything. And uh, we need to recognize that this is a participle. God has revealed a principle through the pen of the Apostle Peter. We are to make it a principle to repeatedly exhibit all diligence. Pasenspudin is translated all diligence. It's literally all haste and complete dedication. We are to make it a principle to exhibit all haste and uh, then uh, complete dedication as we seek to apply the mechanics, go through the process that is explained here. This word uh, spudin that's identified as diligence uh, means earnest zeal. It identifies the, the concept of a complete dedication to something. We are to be completely dedicated to the process that Peter is explaining here if we hope and desire to have that divine nature reflected in our life to others. Word incorporates the idea of haste and along with it then that complete dedication. So the instructions are to develop in the sphere of your faith virtue and develop in the sphere of virtue knowledge and then moving through seven stages of development we are to do that with complete dedication and to be in haste in doing it and then uh, to your faith or but to your faith you are to add this the um, the word add is not quite adequate for what is being expressed here. Um, Epicorsate, uh, as a matter of fact, is translated minister in some places. Uh, it commands the subject to supply something. And we have a strengthened form of that here with the uh, word beginning with epi uh, that's a, a prefix and so this ver this statement should be fully supply or develop in the sphere of your faith in the sphere of the faith that is yours you are to fully supply or develop in this sphere of faith 
virtue. Your faith got you into the plan of God. When you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you expressed faith. As you read the Word of God, you find that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But faith means to place our weight or our dependency upon something, to become reliant upon it. And within that sphere of faith then, you are to, with haste and with dedication, you are to fully develop virtue. Virtue is translated from the Greek word artane. It means that moral behavior that procures the highest opinion of others. Virtue is something that is seen by others. And it's seen by others through our behavior. Where do you develop that kind of virtue? You develop it as you study the Word of God, as you hear the Word of God, as you're exposed to the Word of God, and you mix that with faith, depending upon it, you make application to the guidelines for living the Christian life, the principles that we find in the Word of God, and in the area of morality, you are able then to have a high opinion of others uh, based on your moral behavior. Now, I mentioned in our introduction that I was surprised to find this in front of knowledge, that before we are to fully develop knowledge, we're to fully develop this moral behavior. Now, uh, when I I say before, and, and let me assure you, that you don't build just one sphere, and when you get that all completed, then you develop the other. It's a progressive thing, as is our Christian growth. And so in proportion to our faith, we are able to develop moral behavior. God has given us guidelines, standards as how we ought to live, what our behavior ought to be, what our morality ought to be. And as we find those things in the Word of God, within the sphere of faith, we place our dependency upon them. To the degree that we do that, we develop then that virtue and we develop that opinion of others concerning our behavior. It's within that sphere of moral behavior that procures the highest opinion of others that we are to fully develop knowledge. Now the word knowledge here is gnosis. It's the more common, simple word for knowledge. You remember in our study last week, I'm sure it came right to your mind, we talked about epinosis. We talked about it being knowledge that is understood, knowledge that is accepted, and knowledge that can now be applied to your life. This is the word gnosis. This is just the fact. This is just having knowledge. Within the sphere of your faith, you develop fully that sphere of 
virtue, that moral behavior that procures the highest opinion. And within that sphere, you are able then to develop fully knowledge. We cannot understand the things of God, save the Spirit of God teach those things to us. I was troubled early in my ministry as as a teenager that the Bible said you don't have any need for a teacher. You're given the Holy Spirit. And yet I had the compulsion that God was guiding me into becoming a pastor teacher. Well, there seemed to be a conflict with the idea of being a teacher and the Holy Spirit being our teacher. But I discovered that it's a distinction in that the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches you the application to your life. I'm the one that teaches you what it says. The Holy Spirit, and you have to work out how you fit that then into your life. So uh, the the Holy Spirit is the one uh, that that helps you with the application. I'll give you some guidelines just because you expect them, but the Holy Spirit will give you those guidelines and show you the application in your daily life. But it's my job as a pastor teacher to teach you knowledge, to teach you what the Word says. So verse 5 should read this way. But also, for this very reason, having escape the authority of the influence of the world. In addition, make it a principle to repeatedly exhibit all haste and complete dedication to fully supply in the sphere of your faith that moral behavior that procures the highest opinion of others. And in that sphere of moral behavior that procures the highest opinion of others, fully supply knowledge. Now, I... I need to comment on that word gnosis. I've said it simply means knowledge, but it involves the process of seeking knowledge. You have to, uh, you have to develop that appetite for knowledge. That is knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of the principles that we find in the Word of God. And it's speaking about the process of taking in knowledge. Not just knowledge itself, but the process of taking in knowledge. So you are to fully supply the process of seeking knowledge, and you do that through inquiry or investigation. Knowledge is in the book. It is a book of knowledge. We need then to have an appetite for that a desire for that so that we then are driven by that appetite to seek knowledge to seek understanding to seek the things of God look with me then at verses 6 and 7 and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Again, it's not and, it's but. But, 
in the sphere of your knowledge, of your process of seeking knowledge, in that sphere, then, you are to fully supply temperance. Oh, that's easy. I never took a drink in the first place. No, it's not talking about drinking. Not talking about temperance in that common usage that we have today. It means control of will. Self-control. The word in kratian. The self-controlled will. In the sphere of faith, we are to fully develop that behavior that procures for us the highest opinion of others. And in that sphere, we are to fully develop the process of taking in knowledge. And in that sphere of taking in knowledge, we are to fully develop the self-controlled will. We usually start at these things backwards. We want to control the will to begin with. No, there's a process by which that self-control is developed. It's in faith and in the pursuit of knowledge and in the uh, pursuit of a, of, well, I should say it's taking in uh, faith, it's having faith and then Within that faith is developing a proper moral behavior. And within that proper moral behavior, then the process of taking in knowledge. Now we are becoming equipped for self-control. So self-control is to be fully developed within the sphere of that process of taking in knowledge. And that sphere of taking in knowledge is to be developed within the sphere of the proper moral behavior, and the proper moral behavior is developed within the sphere of faith. But we're still not true. But to temperance, that is, to the self-controlled will, you are to fully develop patience. Patience. Be careful with this word. Hupomunein is the Greek word. And it's got the article from it. It's the patience. It's the status of abiding, here's the, the kicker, in contentment under any circumstance. So, so oftentimes, you breeze over the word hupomunein, uh, under and, and to abide, to abide under, but it has that, that word abide is the aspect of being comfortably at home. So there is contentment that is involved in this concept, uh, context. The status of abiding in contentment under any circumstance. Notice where it's developed within the sphere of a self-controlled will. But notice where the self-controlled will is developed. Within the sphere of the process of taking in knowledge. 
But look where that process is developed. It's in the sphere of the proper moral behavior. But look where that's developed. It's within the sphere of faith. So you see a progression. And you can see it in, we talked about concentric circles, but they don't go out. They come in in this study. And they come in tighter and tighter so they become more binding and more conforming for us as believers. Within that sphere, the status of abiding in contentment under any circumstance, you are to fully develop godliness. Godliness. The word godliness, Eusebian, is that consistency of duty to God which is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him. Not self, not others, but Him. We are godly when we have developed a consistency of our duty to God which is characterized by our Godward attitude that desires to please Him. But notice where it's developed. You don't just set out, all right, this week I'm going to study and I'm going to be godly. No, there's the process involved. This consistency of duty to God that is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him is developed in the status of abiding in contentment under any circumstance. See, if you're not contented with your circumstance, you're never going to be happy with God. (laughs) Because God controls our circumstances. And so, in this consistency, developing this consistency of duty to God that is characterized by a Godward attitude that desires to please Him, that's developed in this sphere of contentment, no matter what the circumstances are, which is developed in this sphere of taking, of, of having, a, uh, taking in knowledge, and that is developed within the sphere of proper moral behavior, which is developed in the sphere of faith. These are tied to one another. And we wonder why we fail. Well, we don't follow the process. But we're not through. But in that sphere of that consistency of duty to God that is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him, fully develop brotherly love. Philadelphian is the Greek word. We have the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, supposedly, uh, in name at least. It is, philos is one of the four words for love in the Greek language. It identifies a love that is based on response. It can either be the response that you have to a person's need 
are a response that you have to them, their circumstance, their situation, their relationship with you, so it can go from good to bad in various situations. You, this is a responsive love. You are to respond to the needs of others, but it is, continuation is based on the response you get. So, it's what's in this, for me, fits into this category of responsive brotherly love. Now, it's not only responsive love, they throw the word brother in, the Holy Spirit put the word brother in there, in our relationship and dealing with others. You are to fully develop the proper responsive love to them within that sphere of godliness, which we identified as a consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to God, which is developed then in that status of of abiding in contentment under whatever your circumstances might be, which is developed then in uh, that sphere of uh, knowledge, of taking in knowledge, which is developed in the sphere of proper moral behavior, which is developed in the sphere of faith. That proper moral behavior is going to be developed as you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, in addition to our having been born again, there is that need for our being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Hence, the top circle talks of our salvation in your illustration of the cross and the two spheres. The bottom one speaks about our fellowship, our control by the Holy Spirit. We're entered into relationship with God by faith, by grace through faith are you saved. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So that's going to produce the right moral behavior. And within the right moral behavior, we're now equipped to take in knowledge. And we are motivated to study, to learn the Word of God. And in that sphere of learning the Word of God, we now begin to develop this self-control, this this uh, being uh, controlled so that we no longer cop out, the devil made me do it. We take responsibility and we now have the control over that old nature. And within that sphere, we develop that contentment. And within that sphere of contentment, we develop this consistency of duty to God we call godliness. And within that, we are able to develop brotherly love. But there's one final circle, one final sphere within this context. It's at the center of our developing maturity. He said, but in addition to your brotherly love, you are to add charity. Wow. That word charity, (laughs) such a misnomer. 
today. That's another one of the English words that changed. In 1611, when the King James translation was was completed, the word charity was the strongest word in the English language to love. Because it identifies the concept of giving. And it identified the concept of self-sacrificial giving. That word came to refer just to giving. And we use it, especially this time of year, rather flippantly. Charity. It's translated from the Greek word agape. That is the strongest word in the Greek language for love. It means a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving, but continues to love regardless of the response. Continues to love self-sacrificially regardless of the response. It's at the center of the development processes of spiritual maturity. We hear lots of sermons on love and we do a lot of bantering about love one another and and all of that. It doesn't just happen because God said that we are to love one another. There is a growing process by which we are able to express that. And so these seven circles, seven spheres, become more compressing. Within the sphere of faith, well, let's read it in the expanded translation here. Because this love, this self-sacrificial love, follows faith, morality, knowledge, self-control will, an ability, an ability to abide comfortably under your circumstance, and that consistency of duty to God that's characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to God by brotherly love, then we have self-sacrificial love. So the text says, but in the sphere of the process of seeking knowledge through inquiry and investigation, fully supply the self-control will. But in the sphere of the self-control will, fully supply the ability to abide in contentment under all circumstances. But in the sphere of abiding in contentment under all circumstances, fully supply that consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by a Godward attitude, which does that, which is pleasing to Him. But in the sphere of that consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him, fully supply that responsive brotherly love. But in the sphere of that responsive brotherly love, fully supply that self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. Here are the principles. Number one, the promises of God provide us with the potential for becoming common partners in the divine nature. 
Point number two, we have escaped the authority of the influence of this world. Not the influence, but the authority of the influence. In order to escape the influence, we have to add these principles. In the sphere of our dependency upon these promises, we are to fully develop that behavior that will procure the highest opinion of those around us. In the sphere of this behavior, we are to fully supply the process of seeking knowledge through study. In the sphere of the knowledge that we have acquired through faith, we are to fully develop a self-controlled will. In the sphere of the self-controlled will, we are to fully develop the ability to, to be content in all our circumstances. In the sphere of our contentment under all circumstances, we are to fully develop that consistency of duty to God which is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him. In that sphere of our consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him, we are to fully develop a responsive brotherly love. In that sphere of responsive brotherly love, we are to fully develop that self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues regardless of the response. We are to do all these things with diligence, making it a principle to repeatedly exhibit every haste and complete dedication in the pursuit of these. And we need to note that the development of each of these will be in proportion to the development of the one that precedes it. Your moral behavior will be developed on the basis of your faith. How much faith you have will give you the potential for that proper moral behavior. How much of that moral behavior, and the only way we can have that proper moral behavior is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the Spirit-controlled life. And the only way then that we can acquire knowledge, and even the desire for it, is to have that proper behavior controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then, to the degree of each of these, we are able to develop the following one. So it's a continual growing process. You don't just develop the one, and now that you've got that complete, you can start developing the others. They There is that ripple effect that we see in our study. So I'm, I haven't made a determination yet. There are two directions that I thought we might go one of those directions at this point. And one is these, this process is very important that I thought perhaps it might be well to take a week on each one of the steps. On the other hand, uh, time short, Jesus is coming again. Uh, who knows what? But I thought just leave it with you as it is and move on through Second Peter uh, into the next section. All of it is rich. Uh, I've said it took five years to get through First uh, Peter in a home Bible study with three hours a, uh, a week uh, in that Bible study. 
That's because we took these side trips and spent a week then on each one of these. So uh, I'm, I, I say come next Sunday and we'll see. Now we're getting close to Christmas and there's supposed to be some kind of traditional Christmas thing too. Any part of the Word of God is traditional. Uh, one Easter morning, the church in San Jose, when we got through our song service, I stepped to the pulpit and I said, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. There was a lady in the congregation who yelled out, I can't believe that! And he got up with her two teenage daughters and stormed out. I was going through the book of Ephesians. Week by week, verse by verse, this was Easter Sunday. I contacted her in the week to find out what it was that she couldn't believe and that made her so angry. You couldn't leave your precious study of Ephesians for Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. Why couldn't you have an Easter message? I said, Janet, if you had stayed long enough to hear the text, the text, which was the next verses in line, I didn't plan it that way, but the next verses in line said, and who is he that ascended? But he that first descended in the lower parts of the earth. That was the verse. What better verse could you find for Easter Sunday? But no, I was walked into my precious study. So she got up and stormed out and went to some other church for an Easter message. So it's all there. It's a matter of sensing God's direction of where you are and where I need to be in relationship to that too. So come next Sunday and we'll take a look.